Be seated and grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter number 20 today. I'm going to read a story that might be very familiar to you, but I think it's something that's going to take on a new form. It's done it in my life. Um, If you've been with us, we've been in a series in John, but that God has pulled me away from. And so today we're not returning to the series in John as much as we're returning to something that I've been fighting God about preaching to you. Now, let me give a little disclaimer here. This is going to be hard for me. But I know it's necessary, and I know it's something that we really need in our life today. Um, Read this, and then I'll get into it. One of the 12 disciples, verse 24, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. We know this guy. We've given this guy a nickname that's not in the Bible. What do we call this guy? Doubting Thomas. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's, It's... It's a Thomas that just wants to know. It's a Thomas that just wants to figure it out. It's a Thomas that wants to see if all his hopes and dreams are not truly shattered, that there's hope in their life. And, 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 and I know that sometimes we, we give this guy a bad rep because he just wants proof. But how many times do we ask God for a sign? And how many times are we asking God for proof of something that God has told us in our lives? Um, you've been called son and daughter, but do you truly feel like you're royalty today? I mean, you've been given gifts and callings, but are we using those today? I mean, we live in a generation that, that, that we know what God has said and we hear it declared. I mean, I hear it more now than ever, the affirmations of the word, but I don't really see a, a proclamation of the word being lived out in our lives. I, for one, am one that struggles with my confidence. I struggle with shame and I struggle with guilt. I struggle with things and, and there's times in my life that I doubt different situations and scenarios in my life. And I feel like as, as, as churches, we've been kind of programmed, if you would, to get into a mindset where we hide our struggles, to where we come together and we pretend that we don't have doubts too. And the truth be told, there's a lot of Thomases in the building today. There's a lot of Thomases that are watching online and listening to podcasts. And you say, I don't doubt Jesus, but maybe you doubt him in your circumstance. Maybe you doubt him in your situation. Maybe you don't believe God's dead, but maybe you believe his ears are closed to you. Maybe you don't believe that God's far and distant, but maybe you just believe that for some reason he's not working on your issues or working on your problems. And so Thomas says, I got to see this. And look at it. He said, they told him we have seen the Lord. But Thomas is somebody that just believes what he hears. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to be Thomas. We live in a world today where there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of things. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of people that say what you should believe. There's a lot of people that think of what should be done in your marriage. Some people will come into your marriage and tell you to give up. Some people would say, I would never stay with a person like that. Some people think they know what to do with your career and they they hear about your bad day and they say, I would quit. And these people have opinions, but they're not necessarily giving you facts and truth. I told somebody this week, that may be your truth, but that doesn't make it the truth. It may be what you're believing, but it doesn't mean that I have to believe it and I have to stand on it. It doesn't mean that I have to receive it. And there are things in the world today that if you're not careful, you'll hear and you'll believe because they sound good. Isn't that what Ephesians 4 says? Hey, there are lies that are so clever that they actually sound like the truth. I I give you these all the time, but but this, this world that says, be all you can be. You know, and it's like, well, here's the truth. That, that's the world mentality of saying, hey, we're in the army. We'll make you something fierce and we'll make you something fighting worth and, and warrior worth and all these other things. But the truth is all that you and I can be at our best is still a failure. That even if we gave everything we had today, it still wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough to conquer your conscience 
It wouldn't be enough to, to conquer and silence the voice of temptation. It wouldn't be enough to save your marriage. It definitely wouldn't be enough to save our souls. It's not enough. You and I are not enough. And we live in a world that says, forgive yourself. The truth is, you're the sinner, and so am I. And the guilty have no right to declare forgiveness over their own guilt. They have no right to stand and say, I'm going to forgive myself for my sins. You know, you need a savior for that. You need God for that. The victim is the only one that can forgive you. And while you're trying to forgive yourself, Satan's got you trapped in a mindset of you. To where all you're thinking about is you. And all you're thinking about is, well, I got to love myself and I got to forgive myself before I can love others. That is a lie. Bull. It is garbage. It is crap. It is not of God. The Bible never says love you. It says love the Lord and love others. And I promise you this, if you're loving God, he's loving you. And if he's loving you, you can love others. But if you're trying to love yourself to be good enough for somebody else, you'll never measure up. It's a trap. And Satan wants you caught into a mindset of selfishness. Matter of fact, forgive yourself and love yourself are selfish mindsets. I don't know about you, but I need love in my life. Anybody say me too? Anybody else in here need a good dose of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness because you have gone to a place, some point of your life that you don't deserve to be restored to God, but that victim is not sitting on his throne with a victim mindset. Thank God he is sitting on his throne with a victory mindset and an overcoming mindset and a warrior mindset. And God isn't looking at your failure as the failure of the end of the earth. God is looking at your failure as a platform of which he can show how much he loves and how powerful he is. And today we live in churches that say, you got to come to this place and you got to pretend. You got to laugh and you got you to act like you're okay. Now, should you come and throw a pity party? No, but you should come and be you. Not somebody else. Don't preach like somebody else. Don't teach like somebody else. Don't try to be a husband like another husband is or a wife like another wife is. Don't try to have the marriage you see on Facebook that somebody else is lying about having. Don't try to be the parent that Bluey's parents are or all these other things. Don't try to compare, but be you. But let God come in and make you the version of you that you were intended to be. See, in the garden, they became Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, Eve was not even named until after her sin. Oh, I could preach a whole sermon on labels, but I don't want to get off. She was the woman because she was that connected to the man. The name came after the fall, but God came in the fall. And in the middle of the fall, he, he reestablished his connection with them. He reestablished their connection with each other and he re-identified their purpose and he gave it to them, but he told them it's going to be harder. You're, you're, you're going to have thorns now and you're going to have pains now, but guess what? I'm, I'm here. And then later when Jesus comes, you know what? He, he, he describes his father as a gardener. Isn't it amazing that sin brought the thorns, but Jesus brought the gardener. And when the gardener comes in, even though there's thorns, the garden's still good. The fruit's still good. And you're not in control. God's the one that prunes it. God's the one that cleans it. God's the one that weeds it. God does the work so that you can experience the joy. And in this life we live, we're, we're, we're programming our minds. We do it with our kids, right? You know, how many of you have ever, and don't raise your hand to this, but you're going into some place that's got to be quiet. And you're looking at your three-year-old giving this speech of, you're going to be good. You ever done it? And anybody ever gone to the level is, you represent us. As if 
All your fears are about to come true in the middle of this symphony that you're going to. We start saying, don't be a toddler, right? Don't have energy. Don't have excitement of life right now. You know what we tell them? Go numb. Go dumb. Go quiet. And that's how we want them to come to church. And then we wonder why they hate it. That's how we want them to behave during a service. And then we wonder why they don't want any part of it. The disciples didn't want the kids coming to Jesus because the kids were too rowdy. But Jesus said, I want the kids because that's how I want my church. I want my church to believe that I'm God. And I want them to have that innocent faith that believes and believes and believes no matter what anybody else says. I want them to have excitement to see me. Come sit on my lap. That's exactly what God wants you to do today. Just crawl up in his lap and be you. You're a little bit rowdy? Good. You're a little bit messed up? Good. It's not about your mess and your rowdiness. It's about whose hands you are in. And thank God he's given us the right to not let life be in our hands, but to take our lives and put them into his hands and say, I messed this thing up, but I'm sure and believe and I'm confident that you can fix it, that you can change it. And so Thomas hears it. And then he makes a statement that some of us need to make today. He says, hey, he replied, I won't believe it unless I what? See the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them. Place my hand into the wound in his side. Now I know faith is not seeing, it's believing. And I know that in church, sometimes we preach that to a fault. We look at Thomas and the church calls him doubting Thomas. When this is a Thomas that says, I don't just want to believe it because you believe it. I want to believe it because I got something to believe. And I'll tell you this right now. You will never serve the Lord. You will never be excited about serving the Lord if you're believing what you believe based on what you hear on Sunday. It's when you see God for yourself, experience God for yourself. When you realize he's alive and real for yourself, nobody will stop you then. Not even hell can stand against you then. But if you're leaning on my faith today, you're gonna fall because I'm human and I fall too. If you're leaning on mama's faith today, she's gonna die one day and there'll be no faith to have. I'm telling you right now, you need to see him. You need to know him. You need to get a good glance of Jesus and get a good idea of who God is for yourself. And Thomas said, I ain't going to believe it because you said it. I want to see it too. And then eight days pass. Eight days. You know what we call that? A period of waiting. You know, we'll get back to this. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And at this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Oh, I like this. Some sermon that I, oh, I, I almost wrote out of this, haven't written it yet, but God's laying it on my heart, is what doors do you have locked that you're too stupid to believe that God can walk right through? What areas of your life and mine, you, you, you've made up your mind you're getting a divorce, and you think that's going to happen, but Jesus can walk right through that divorce and make a marriage happen that you didn't even believe could be possible. Hey, you may be sitting there and saying, you know, I'm once an addict, always an addict. Once a cheater, always a cheater. This is who I've always been. This is who I will always be. You are not strong enough, nor do you have a lock big enough to keep Jesus out of your life. He's coming for you. He loves you. And even with the door locked, just like before, there he was standing there. And I don't know what you've said is impossible, but God can break down your impossible. I don't care what you've said can't happen, but God can make something happen in the middle of your wasteland. You may be in a desert place. You may be in a drought of love in your life, but God can walk through any wall of your heart that you have built and any door that you have locked. You are not strong enough to change his mind about you today. What a good thing to know 
Suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand here into my wound and my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Here's a big word. Say it with me. Believe. Believe. If you don't believe, believe is a big word. Watch your kids in December. You know, and a lot of kids in the world, half the kids in the world believe in something that makes them want to change their behavior. Wants to change their lifestyle. What if we believed in God? In Proverbs 15, 3, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. That God sees you and God knows where you are. Everything in your life changes not by what you can do, but by what you believe. He said, Thomas, don't be faceless. Believe. Look at his response. My Lord, my God. I mean, hey, I'm praying today and that in the next couple weeks that these services become a moment like verse 28 for you to where your eyes are open and your hearts are open to where we can stand and we can say, my Lord, my God, he is my God. He is my God without fear, hesitation, without shame, without reserve. I've been praying hard. I'll say this to you and I'll give you a little preference. I, uh, I never tell people what I'm preaching on, ever. I, I don't believe the enemy's smart, do you? I believe the enemy is adaptive. He, he, he learns your weakness. Did God say not to eat of any of the trees of the garden? No, God said not to eat of that one. And where's the next verse? At that one. That's why the Bible says power of life and death is in your tongue. You know why our prayer of tongues exists? Because there's some things you need to talk to God about that you're not giving the enemy ear to. And as we're sitting there and we're saying things like, this is gonna be a terrible day or nobody loves me or if this happens, I'm done. Or if this happens, I'm out. You're telling the enemy, this is what you need to go after today. This is where you need to come after me. Or if you're standing in arrogance saying, well, I will never do that again, or I will never say that, or I would never be that person. The enemy's coming after you. Anything you put out, he can work with. But the things you commit up, he can't touch. I tell people all the time, they are powerless to our words. All right, they, 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 they can be powerful against our words, but they are powerless to our prayers. Our words go to their ears and they decide what they hear. But our prayers go to the throne of God and he decides what he dispatches. And if you have somebody in your life that's struggling if you have a relationship that's struggling stop complaining and start praying and know that God can do a work with his mouth that you can't do with yours and let God be God and you sit back and just obey the truth is this and we are in this season I told you we're going to grow go so and 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 we're going to do evangelism and things that I'm very excited about and things I can't wait to see as people become passionate and here we are as we're preparing for this seeing 30 40 people saved in the past few months at grace and 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 I, I celebrate that I know numbers are numbers but what I see is some of you that have gotten saved in the past few months are still sitting here getting in small groups and talking to people that's called discipleship and that's the church we want to be not the church that can put on a wall 40 people saved, have 40 people going to heaven, look how good we are, but a church that can put in our hearts 40 more warriors that have joined the army, 40 more people that are standing in the gap, 40 more warrior husbands and warrior dads, warrior moms and warrior wives, 40 more people that are going to learn that with God all
all things are possible. 40 more people that are going to look Satan in the face and remind him that hell is his destiny. 40 more people that are going to look fear and doubt in the face and say, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, we take courage and we go forward. 40 more that can go into a highway and a hedge. 40 more that can stand in a messed up generation with a proclamation of truth. It's not 40 we can put in a number. It's 40 that God's going to put the work. And as God puts in the work, people will be changed. Lives will be changed. People will be saved. People will be rescued. And we'll see testimony of God. I see that and I say, hey, that's the church that we want to be. That's the church that we want to see happen. But then God said, but wait. It's like a huge but. You are not going to be effective evangelizers. I'm like, what? No, you're not. You're not going to be effective teachers. You're not going to be effective preachers because there's a plague in the church that needs to be dealt with. A thing in the church that's not being seen. A thing in the church that's been subliminally taught, that's been there so long that, 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 that we think that all we need to do is tell somebody about Jesus and they're going to believe and get saved. But the disciples told Thomas about Jesus and he didn't believe. Can you get this? Because Thomas didn't need to hear. He needed to see proof. And the church wants to tell about a love and the church wants to tell about a salvation. But the world wants to see a proof. The church wants to say there's hope and then we back it up with judgment. The church wants to say God can save anybody, but then we talk about everybody. The church wants to say that God can rescue you, but then we talk about you. And not about what God can do. We talk about what you have done. We start telling people stories instead of Jesus stories. We start telling things about what we know in the world. Did you hear? Did you know? I like what Jesus replied. He, he, he told him in verse 29, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Can I tell you this? We live in a world where we don't physically see Jesus, but we should live in a world where we see Jesus every time we come in contact with another believer. We should see proof. So God gave me this series. You ready? It's called this. Three words. Write it down. I have scars. I have scars. If I shave my head, you'll see a huge scar across the top of my head. From when I was a kid and my parents had cleaned the sliding glass door. Anybody else ever come and encountered with one of those? So clean you think it's open? So I went running straight into the glass door only to find myself waking up in a hospital. How many of you say me too to that? Come on. Strapped down to a bed, getting stitches. On my knee, I have a scar. From where I was running cross country, I was ranked third in the state of Tennessee, and I was a fast little booger. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the older and fatter I get, the faster I was when I was younger. And uh, they brought the news out to film one of our practices I went to school at Tennessee Temple. Anybody ever visited that campus before it closed down? Tennessee Temple was in the Highland Park area of Chattanooga where all the killings and the shootings happened. And so when we trained for cross country, we ran blocks. That's how we timed our miles. We ran through Highland Park. You know, we, we used to have a, a, a little quote that we would say. They wouldn't let us put it on our T-shirt. Um, our principal wouldn't allow it. But it was true. You either run or die. <laughs> Because you would run by a house and they would be gangs in the yard throwing things at you. We literally, get, when we joined the cross-country team, got a piece of paper of the colors we could not wear because the Crips and the Bloods were right around the neighborhood. 
Why my parents ever allowed it, I will never tell you. But we would run, and I was fast. And, 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 and they brought, close to the end of our season, we were about to go into regionals and all these other things. I was the fastest guy that ever came out of this small, podunk little school. And, and so they brought the news out to film one of our practices. And so here I come down the block. I cross the street, and um, I, I'm a distance runner at that time and still am. I didn't like sprinting. But at the end, you always finish with a sprint. You always sprint through. And when I sprint, I put my head down, which is against how you're supposed to sprint. And so here's this time, and I've got my training buddy that I run with, because if you're ever gonna run distance, take somebody with you. By the way, spiritually, if you're ever gonna go far, you need a mentor. And as we got ready to sprint, we came across the road, make sure nobody was coming, came across the road. I went down and I took off, and, and, and as I took off, a fire hydrant came up. And because I ran with my hair down in front of everybody, I smacked the fire hydrant and ended my season. Split it open, had to have stitches. I have a scar. On my side, I have a scar of when my appendix went bad. On my stomach, I have a scar of when they had to repair two hernias. I have scars. Those scars represent something in my life. Those rep they represent stories. They represent events. And with every star I have, I can tell you something else of what I went through. But you know what we've done in churches? We've made it to where we hide our scars. No, I, I, I wrote this down. I'm going to break down scars into three different areas. Physical scars, right? My head, my knee, my side, my stomach. What about emotional scars? I have scars. I have things that my parents said to me as a kid that they're on my mind. I have things that were said to me and spoken over me, and maybe you do too, that were not positive. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'll never forget that one. I'll never forget the one that you're going to be the kid that disappoints the family name. I'll never forget the, you'll never be smart enough to do this. And you'll never be able to, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, or the opposite. You always mess things up. You always make it too anxious. You always make it hard. And some of you have mental scars too. I have spiritual scars. I have scars that are in my life. And the emotional ones, yes, they're on my mind. What about the ones that are on my heart? Let's go back to that. How many of you got things that you feel deeply about yourself? The things that maybe nobody else even knows because you're scared to tell anybody because if you told everybody, they would judge you. They would rule it out. They would say what you could and couldn't be. I wrote down the spiritual side. I, I wrote down other things. I've got spiritual scars that are on my conscience. Who else in the house today has regrets? Who else in the house today battles shame and guilt? Who else today has not only scars on your conscience, but you have scars on your calling because you're blemished, you feel like you're not worthy? Hey, who else carries that today? Raise your hand. What about this one? I have scars on my spirit, which have taken my confidence completely away. Oh my God, it's called me to come on now. Who in here struggles with insecurity? Who in here struggles with the, you see you and you know you and you'll tear yourself apart? I have scars. And the church for years has says, cover those things. Keep those things quiet. Matter of fact, when I was writing this and journaling this, I wrote this down. All my physical scars, I cover them with makeup and clothes. All right? And you say, you wear makeup? When I have zits, I do. You know, and, and, and rightfully so. You're going to chuckle at that. You're going to think that's weird, but you know what? I'll get a zit on my forehead and I'll get paranoid about standing on a camera or standing on a stage. 
And you say, oh, you are so superficial. That's why people don't talk about their scars is because you got an opinion of why they feel the way they feel. You know why people don't talk about their fears? Because you belittle them because they're not yours. You know, you make, hey, just because it's not your fear doesn't mean it's not a fear to somebody. And yet we'll look at it and we'll like, that's no big deal. We'll force people into situations they should never be in. Well, our kids will say, I'm scared of heights. And we'll say, you're going to get over it. And we'll take them and we'll create a petrifying memory because we believe we have the antidote to their fear. And we'll staple that to their life. My biggest fear of snakes came from playing cowboys and Indians with my brother in the backyard. My brother looked at me and said, go pick up the rope. I got to the rope and he threw a rock at the rope. And when I got to the rope, the rope turned around and it was a snake inches away from my hands. And I've never been the same with snakes. You say, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. Hey, hey that's the problem. It's what, when we say that, we, we, we start saying to people, that's ridiculous. Or you shouldn't feel that way. Or get over it. Or at some point, you just got to move on. How many of you have heard those statements in your life? You know what we're saying? Hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it. Cover it, cover it, cover it, cover it. You can't see on my 16th birthday, I have a scar right here on my arm where a gang of 15 guys, not gang, but my buddies and my brothers tackled me on my 16th birthday and drug me across the floor for 20 minutes. And it so burnt my skin that I'm scarred to this day. In that, I wear sleeves. I get paranoid about it. I don't walk around saying, check out my hernia scar. I don't do that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't point out the thing on my knee because I'm embarrassed by the fact that I ran into a fire hydrant. That's just not something normal people can say. But the thing is, is when I come to my emotions, when it comes to this, hey, in my spiritual walk, I've made mistakes. In my spiritual walk, I have fallen short of the glory of God, but the truth is so have you. And the enemy says, cover it. And God says, come out of hiding. Get out of those leaves. Let me clothe you. The enemy says, hey, let's not do this. And so I, I wrote this down and I, I want you to get this. And it, 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 there's things that your scars do not represent. Number one, they don't normally represent something you're proud of. Am I right? They don't, number two, represent things that you want other people to know. How many of you got secrets today? Number three, they don't really represent highlights of your life. And number four, they don't represent things I want to remember. We have emotional block. Anybody ever heard those two words in their lives? Trauma block. It's where your mind will so try to protect you that it will literally block out memories that are real in your life until uncovered. You know, a lot of people have behaviors right now they cannot explain because trauma block and emotional block is ruined their life. And they're sitting there thinking, why am I the way I am? All of a sudden they go to a therapy and a therapy starts doing trigger therapy and, and they start telling things. I, I literally had one of our people meet me in a parking lot recently. And in that parking lot said, I was talking to a therapist and it made me remember things in my life that I didn't know were there. And now I don't know what to do. And we are 14 years past it, 13, 12 years past it. And they're sitting there and saying, I forgot this was there. But you know what? You've been living from that, even though you don't know it's there. How many of you have noticed that it, 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 your body, if you go through an immense amount of pain, if you get shot, there's a good chance you pass out before you die. You know why? Because your body tries to protect itself. Your mind does the same thing. It'll shut down areas of your life because you don't want to remember it. You don't want to deal with it. 
Matter of fact, maybe some of you even on purpose do this. Anybody in the room say, I bury things. I hold it in. Come on now, raise your hand. Where you at? You know what you are? And I am? You know what you are? That's most of our church. You know what you are? You're a shaken bottle of Coke. You are built up with pressure. And sometimes that's anxiety, right? Sometimes that's nervousness. Sometimes that's stress. Sometimes that's shutdown. And if anybody ever tried to attempt to open you up, what's going to happen? You're going to make a mess. That's why you scream when you fight. When you finally say something, you say everything. Am I right? Come on now. You don't just come out with a punch. When you're ready to fight, you're ready to go. It's hold my coat. We're going. You don't think of the consequences of the blow up either. You say, well, stop talking about, I'm talking about you because I am you. I'll bottle, 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 explode. Bottle, 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 explode. Bottle, 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 explode. And then I'll hate myself for exploding. I'll beat myself up. Can you not see how the enemy works? The enemy says, hide, 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 hide. Oh, you ate the fruit. You better go hide. Oh, you ate the fruit. You better get some leaves. And God shows up and says, who told you you're naked? I'm not here worried about you being naked. You've been naked the whole time. It's no different. You were naked before. You'll be naked in the end. God is not looking at your position. He's looking at your heart. And he's saying, what changed here? And if you are somebody today, I can't tell you to go into highways and hedges and tell somebody about the Lord until you're willing to be okay with your scars. Until you're willing to take them and realize that your scars don't represent your failure. But because we don't want to remember them, we, number one, we cover them up. Physically, makeup, and, and clothes. Emotionally, we do it with humor. I mean, how many times do you hear me joke about my weight? A lot. Why? Because I'm insecure about my weight. You do it too. Somebody will do some, by the way, never laugh at somebody else's expense. Because even if they're laughing, doesn't mean they're laughing inside. And, and you'll, you'll laugh when somebody makes a joke or cuts you down. You know why? Because you're covering up. You know, the best thing you could do to somebody is say, stop saying that stuff to me because it really bothers me. Stop saying that stuff to me because it really hurts me. Stop saying that stuff to me because it really affects my mind. You know what we do in our home? We tell each other, that triggers me. That reminds me of 10 years ago. That reminds me of yesterday. That reminds me of these things. And is it easy to hear those things? No. But the truth is, I can tell when something's wrong with Jordan. I mean, I, I, I know when something's on her mind. And I'll come in and I'll, what's wrong with you? What did I do? And what do you get? Nothing. Now, She'll tell me eventually. And you know what happens when she tells me and it's a reminder of my failure? I immediately go into cover up. You know what cover up can be sometimes? Anger. Have you ever been so mad at yourself and the person mistaked it as you were mad at them? You're like, I'm not frustrated with you at all. I just hate that that's my story. Emotionally, we, we cover it with human and jokes, but spiritually, we'll cover it with work or extreme effort. You got sin in your life, you got failure in your life, there's a good chance you're working yourself to death right now. You're trying to prove yourself to yourself and other people. And I don't necessarily mean that you're working long hours at your job. Some of you are trying to prove yourself to God. And you feel like if you could show how much you care about people, then it would prove to God that you really didn't mean to do and didn't like what you did. And, and so instead of dealing with what you did, you just go to extreme effort. 
Some of you are like slaves to your husband and your wife right now because you want to make things right with them. And instead of being honest with them and telling them what you got wrong, you're just trying to serve and trying to serve and trying to do and trying to do. And then they come in one day because you're not speaking their love language and they say to you, I don't feel like you love me. And you feel like all your effort is in vain. Why? You're covering up what's truly going on in your life. We live in a world that says, don't tell people. We live in a cancel culture in our church. Where men like Johnny Hunt gets canceled at a church he spent 30 years in because he made a mistake 12 years ago. And when he talks about the mistake, they're done. They cancel his conference. He's no longer allowed there. And you say, well, I don't agree with that, but how often do we do that? You can't be my friend anymore because you said. You can't do this anymore because you did. I can't stay married to you because you messed up. No, you got scars. So we're going to look at this today, and I, I don't know about you, but I've been trained by my family, by my church, by the world to hide everything. I promise you that I never dreamed that when I stood on this stage and told this church that I was an adulterer, that I would get the phone calls I got. And when I say phone calls I got, I'm not talking about the phone calls people made to other people. I'm talking about the amount of men that now reach out to me on a regular basis saying, I'm struggling with this and I need help. I remember being on the phone with somebody from here telling me that I needed to go away and not be here. And while on the phone, my doorbell rang. And when I opened that door, a man standing there looking at me and saying, I've done what you've done. And I need to know, how do I save my marriage? How do I save my life? And while getting canceled on one end, God opening a door on another end to say, come in, come in, come in. Let's sit down and talk. And for the next three hours, be able to pour into that person what God had poured into me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now. You may think that if people know your scars or know your story, if they know who you are and know where you've been, that they will never listen to you and they will never stand to you. And the truth is, some will cancel you and they will rule you out and they will never tune into you again. But the truth is also this, where you found your greatest misery, you have probably found your greatest ministry. And where your misery was is where your ministry will be. And while others are canceling you, there's somebody that needs to hear about the scar. They need to hear about the story. They need to know that a scar, and I wrote this down. You ready? Write it down. Number one, a scar is a representation of not where you've been defeated, but what you have survived. All right, and here's the thing. We have people in our lives today that are walking around and saying, look at all these defeats. No, you know what a scar represents? Number two, where the enemy tried to destroy you, but now you're standing strong. It is not where you ended. It's where your story has begun. Your scar is not a representation of failure. It's a representation of when Satan tried and failed to take you down and to take you out. And when Jesus is standing in front of Thomas, he says, look at my scars. They're proof that I became sin. Proof that I I died, but they're proof that sin and death has no power over me. 
We need to raise a generation today that knows this. That yes, I'm not proud of where I've been. And yes, I'm not proud of my story. And yes, in my mind, I don't want you to know. But you need to know. You need to know. I'm a human and I fail. You need to know that I've fallen on my face. You need to know that there's a man inside of me that if I don't tame by the Holy Spirit, can be totally evil and wicked. But you also need to know there's a resurrection that lives in me too. There's a spirit that has power in here too. And the same God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is raising me up every single day. And he's raising you too. And my story is not an amplification of where it has failed. My story is an amplification of where God prevailed. And in that life, we need to say, our testimony. Oh, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of I've got this spiritual scar, but I have a healer. And while the scar is there, the power of God is there too. I wrote down those four things. I'll give them to you real quick because I think I only give you three. Number one, your scar is a representation of what you survived. Number two, it's proof that the enemy has failed. Number three, it's a testimony of resilience and overcoming. And number four, it's a beacon of hope. I made those statements, and from the misery of my life came a ministry I never saw coming. It changed my view of people. So oftentimes, I still want to get mad at people. But I'm reminded of how gracious God's been to me. There's times I want to give up on you. And I'm reminded that God never gave up on me. How many of you have heard the song? So I thank God for the scars. Because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. I heard that song two months in to my confession to the rejection of the world. My wife sent it to me and said, one day we'll be thankful for this. And now in that moment, I'm thinking there is no way I'll be ever thankful for this. But now we stand and say, I don't care how much of a sinner you feel like you are in this place today. And I don't care how deep you've gone, how far you've taken it. I can stand here today, not because I've heard God can help you. But like Thomas, I've seen him do it. I've put my hand into his grace and I have felt what grace can do. I've had, I've slipped my hand into his mercy and I know what his mercy is. And today the testimony is that God loves you and God wants to save you. No, it goes beyond that. And if you don't believe that God loves you and God wants to save you, then let me show you my scar and let me tell you my story. Hey, I ran into a fire hydrant, but today I can still walk. Today I can still run. Not as fast. But today, this isn't something you know about me until I tell you. But it's proof that through rehab, three months of it, and and through the proper recovery, that you don't have to know about the disability as much as you have to know that it doesn't keep you down. And today, I don't have to go into every detail of the last 36 years of 37, 38 years of my life. I don't have to tell you every mistake I've made, but I can tell you this. While I'm ashamed and regret what I've done, I'm thankful for what God has done. And if you're sitting here today believing that God cannot use you, 
I'm standing here today preaching to probably three or 400 people, not counting maybe the four or five, 600 people that tune in later. And while the world has said he doesn't deserve to preach, and while religion says he should never be a pastor, while everybody says I shouldn't be anything today, today you hear my story. And my story isn't because I've been good. My story is because I have a scar, not a wound. A scar that God has stepped into my life and done something with. That the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And even if the world has an idea of what you should be, they will be blown away by what God makes you. Because God is not just the shepherd to the sheep that want to follow. He's the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go and find the one. God is not just the shepherd to the sheep that want to listen. He's the shepherd to the dumb sheep too. He's not a shepherd to the ones that get it all right. He's a shepherd to the ones that need to be led and fed and made to lie down. He's the shepherd to all. And you are not too far from his grace today. If we're going to have a testimony, we've got to have the scars. There are Thomases all around us who do not want to just hear what we have to say. They actually want to see a proof that you survived something in your life. And so today in a countercultural message, we want to say that it's time that your scars don't become things of shame, but instead become pictures of God's grace. How many of you are with me? Close your eyes. How many of you this resonates with you today? How many of you have scars too? Wow, awesome. That's almost every hand here. <clears throat> I honestly will say this, and I, I couldn't tell who raised their hand or not, but look at me, I'll say this. If you didn't raise your hand, it's because you've got your scar too buried. I guarantee you've got them too. But today I understand this, that if we're going to talk about scars, we've got to talk about wounds. So the rest of the message will not be about scars. We'll talk about those over the next couple of weeks and what God can do through your scars. Right now, I want to talk to you who have wounds. Isaiah 53. How many of you have heard that passage? Maybe you've heard it this way. By his stripes, we are healed. Read this with me, if you would. Verse number one of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He's talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. I love this, this sentence. He's acquainted with our deepest griefs. You know what that Bible's saying? He knows how you feel. He knows what it's like to be suicidal. Jesus was never suicidal. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was tempted by Satan to jump off. Temptation was there. He knows what it's like to, uh, to have a need of something, but it not be available. That's why he was tempted to turn stones into bread. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. Why are you asleep? I need you. He knows what it's like to doubt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be anxious to where his body breaks down and his sweat becomes blood. He knows what it's like to fear the future and not know how he's going to make it through it, but just trust that God's called him. He knows what it's like to really want a different way than God's will. Let this pass from me. He knows how you feel. And he has been tempted in every way that you've been tempted. In other words, he had sexual temptation. 
<gasps> Let's not talk about Jesus. You know why? We want to cover it up and act like everything's great. But the God said he was a human just like you and just like me and went through every bit of the temptation you and I went through. And I don't need a savior that doesn't know what it's like to live in flesh and blood. I'm thankful I have a savior that knows exactly what it's like to have his heart pierced, his heart broken, to have, know what it's like to be rejected and made fun of, to know what it's like to never be good enough, to be called a Nazarene, to be called somebody from Nazareth. I need a savior that tells me the truth because he knows what it's like to go through. And the Bible says that with every way of temptation, God's made a way of escape. Why? Because we have a savior who endured it, but did and give in to it. So as we look at this and as we watch this, I want you to get this. We need to understand that we have a Savior who knew what it was like to be broken because of sin, who knew what it's like to be beaten because of sin, who knew what it was like to be totally humiliated because of sin, and he knows how you feel. You said he never sinned, but the Bible says, and we need to grab this, ready? He became sin. That's why God couldn't look at him. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's plans, paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what the King James Version says? Back up to verse number uh, five, if you would. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. By the way, write it down. It's the testimony of the scars of Christ that gives you hope. But there's a difference between a wound and a scar. A scar tells the story of a healing where a wound tells the story where something needs attention and needs healing. And so I'm going to speak to you today, those of you that have wounds, very quickly. Number one, wounds are created by two things, either sin or the effects of somebody else's sin in our life. Sin, your direct actions or inactions, or the results of sin, the direct actions and inactions of somebody else or the world that you live in that's flawed by sin. We're impacted, and I'm going to break this down for you. I read this in a book, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you quick. Write these initials down. T-B-R. Triggers, behaviors, and results. I come from an adulterous lifestyle. You know what statistics say? I have a three times chance of making that mistake again in my life. I hesitate to say that because I know it's going to trigger my wife. I know it's going to trigger you, but it's the truth. It's the fact. I need to know it. But you know what it also says? The person that's been cheated on has a two to four times chance. There's a higher chance of the person that's the victim becoming the cheater than the cheater themselves. And we sit there and we say, what is causing this? And what is happening this? And we call that triggers, behaviors equals results. So we're going to bake that down. Number three, not only are you created by sin and the results of it, we're impacted by those triggers, behaviors, and results. But number three, after the wound is, is, is exposed, it goes into a waiting period. And in that waiting period, we have this fear. So it's like this. I'll give it to you. If you've ever been in sin and a wound is open, need healing. If you've ever been in sin, um, you've learned this. You have control of sin until you give in to it. Now, you still have the control to stop it, but you cannot control the consequences of it. In other words, it's like this. I can say no to the sin, but once I have committed the sin, I no longer get to determine whether or not I keep my job, my family, my career, and all the things I've worked for. 
And what we don't think about is why we're getting there and how we're getting there. And the next thing you know, we're giving into things and we're doing things and we're, we're, we're trying to figure out why we did what we did, but we're not going back to what triggered the behavior. Write this down and please never forget it. There's always a pathway that got you to where you are. And in a waiting period, when you're trying to figure out what happens next, we call that a grief period. Sin will cause you to grieve. Sin will create a grief process. That's why you need a Monday night class. By the way, we have three different things you can be involved in in the week to help you with your scars and your wounds. Overcoming grief, six o'clock on Mondays. Celebrate recovery, six o'clock on Tuesdays. All right, and then Thursdays, breaking bondage at six o'clock. You, you say, why do you put so much of an emphasis on that? Because every person in here is capable of sin. And every person in here is capable of hurt. And maybe you have a wound today because of what your husband did. Or maybe you have a wound today because of what you're doing. You don't need to sit there and say, look at what I did. You need to sit there in the waiting period and figure out what caused that behavior in your life. And so we're going to look at that. During that waiting period, there's two things you should do. And I'm almost done. Write this down. Ready? Two things you should do. Number one, spend out time figuring out how you got there. There's always a path to the wound. But second, it's a period where you should rebuild your life. Make determinations. DJ, do I have the ability to just take over the screen by turning this on or do we need to change the channel? Okay, let me just screen share real quick. Y'all with me, church? I'm gonna go 10 minutes into overtime today. I'm just telling you that right now. I pray and pray and pray about not being too long. But I'm telling you this, I feel like I've gotta get through this one today. You ready? Did I take it over? Am I up there? Okay, let me take it down. You see me? Let's talk about this real quick. Ready? Triggers. I'm a terrible speller. Oh, see, I'm, I'm starting to spell behaviors with an S. Behaviors. Results. A trigger can be Something in your life, an emotion, a thing. And when you start feeling a certain way, you, it, it creates the behavior. Now, now know this. If somebody is working all the time and going home, working, going home, working, going home, they're going to create a need in their life for balance. And part of that need in their life is to have fun, to have excitement, to, to, to do something. By the way, you need to play cards with your friends. You, you need to play Monopoly. That might trigger you, so maybe not. Because some people won't trade properties. All right? You need to go to the movies. You, you need to, within your budget, go shopping. You need some kind of a sport in your life. Or something that you enjoy. Reading. You need it. And people say, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord with everything that's in me. Even Jesus went to parties. Even Jesus went to fellowships. Even Jesus sat down and had fun. It wasn't preach, preach, heal, heal. Preach, preach, heal, heal. No, there's times that he and his disciples are sitting on the beach eating breakfast. There's times that they're in the upper room. Even Jesus had a balance. Guarantee, if you are working all the time, temptation is coming. Because you have a tree trigger of need of pleasure. If you have a scar or a wound in your life from a hurt or deep-rooted thing and you're not dealing with it, then guaranteed the tempter's coming. 
And for everybody that wants to judge and say, oh, watch Josh going through, examine yourself. Look at yourself. What's triggering you? Because the more you're triggered, your behaviors will follow. It will produce what you do. And what you do produces the results of your life. And when you've had a failure in your life, you don't need to look at the behavior. You need to look at the trigger. The trigger's the path. Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep ending up here? Why do you keep arguing in your marriage? Why do you keep snapping at your kids? Why do you keep putting God on the back burner? Why is it that if you had tickets to a football game and you were late, you would still show up, but if you're five minutes late for church, it's an excuse to stay in bed? Why? Because you've got a, a, a thing in your life that's created a weakness. It's a trigger. Anybody ever smell something and go back to their childhood? It's a trigger. Anybody else ever hear things, something, and all of a sudden you're mad? You don't know why you're mad? Because there's a scar, there's a wound, there's something deep-rooted that's got to be dealt with. David murdered a man because he got his wife pregnant. He murdered a man because he impregnated a woman and he tried to trick the man into coming and taking credit for getting her pregnant and the, the man had integrity and wouldn't. Matter of fact, a year after that man's death, God, in his word, still calls Bathsheba Uriah's wife. Even though at that point, she was now with David. Can I give you a word? In David's younger years, he was a man that stood on a rooftop, saw another woman and couldn't stop himself because he had emotional needs. Why? His dad chose 11 other brothers besides him. His dad, when it came time to be kings, did not think David was qualified enough. He had father wounds. And when he brought everybody else to see Samuel, he didn't bring David. And Samuel was confused because God kept saying, no, y'all remember this story? And so God, Samuel looks at his dad and says, is there not another one? And he said, yeah, but he just keeps sheep. That's a deep rooted wound. That's a wound of a boy that needs to prove himself. So guess what he does? He becomes a harp player for the king. And the next thing you know, the king's throwing spears at him. The king wants to kill him. So he runs for his life for years, hides in caves. I'm never good enough. They're always coming after me. He never healed the wound of his heart. And the next thing you know, he's in a place he shouldn't be, wanting something he shouldn't have. Triggered. You know when David was older and dying, that he couldn't warm himself? You know what the Bible said? They went and found a beautiful young woman, and she would lay naked with him in bed. You know what the Bible makes sure to emphasize here? That he would not have sexual relationships with her. I want you to get this. This is real talk, ready? You know what the difference is? The man on the roof and the man in the bed? There's a growth pattern and he realized that what he needed was God. And in the middle of his sin, as Nathan is standing there looking at him and saying, what would you do to a man that took this man's sheep? And what would you do to this? And David said, oh, he would die, but he's gonna pay four times. He's gonna pay four times. And, and Samuel, and Nathan looks back at him and says, you are the man. And, and you know what? The kid that you and Bathsheba had is gonna die right now. And you're gonna have blood in your own house. And, you, and somebody's gonna sleep with your wife in public. And this is gonna happen. And he hands down all these things. And David's response to those things was not, this can't happen or this won't happen or I'm gonna stand against it or I'm gonna fight it. I'm gonna resist it. His response, his response is the response you need if you got a wound in your life today. He looked at Nathan and said, I have sinned against God. He realized who he was and he let 
God change him from there. And maybe you're here today and you're representing a failure of your life. God wants to heal it and make it a scar of testimony. Satan wants to keep you picking at it so it stays a wound and you keep repeating the process. A wound that is not properly treated will consistently get infected. And I believe we have infections in the church. I believe we have people that they're not focusing on what's triggering their life. They're not looking at what's going on. Hey, if you have fallen, all the world wants to tell you about the fall. Stop listening to what they want to tell you about the fall and start listening to what God wants to tell you about how to get up. The godly will stumble seven times. But they'll get back up. In Galatians 6, it gives us a call as a church. That if someone around us falls, what are we supposed to do? Those of you who are elders, the wise of the church, should help them up. But watch out. You know what it says? Watch out so that you don't fall into sin. You know what the Bible's saying there? Watch out for your trigger. Watch out for the weakness of your life. Watch out for the absence of a good father failure, the absence of meaning love. Watch out for the rejection you carry. Watch out for the worthlessness that you carry. Watch out for you feeling like you're not beautiful or you never hear it from your husband. Watch out for how that's de developing your identity and how you see yourself. Watch out for how the world says you should be a certain size and wear a certain thing with a certain boob size and a certain mas masculine size to be pretty and beautiful. Watch out. Watch out for that trigger because somebody else is going to come in here and tell you you're beautiful. Somebody else is going to come in here and tell you you're worth it. Somebody else is going to come in here and tell you anything you want to hear because they have triggers too and they're not dealing with their triggers so the enemy is trying to get them to use you to fulfill a need in their life that only God can fill and if you're not careful you'll do things you never thought you would do because you have a need that's what a trigger comes from it's a need I'm telling you this right now nothing will satisfy your physical, emotional, and mental hurts like Jesus Christ. You'll always search until you find him. And the same man that can't contain himself on a roof can fully contain himself in the bed with the most beautiful girl in the land. Why? He found a healer. And if we are going to be a church that goes, we got to be a church that grows. And in order to grow, we need a healer. You were not what your daddy called you. You were not what that molester did to you. You're not your failed business. You are not your bankruptcy. You're not your divorce. You are not the things. Those are not your identity. They have deepened you, but they do not define you. You're not your affair. You are not. You are not forsaken. And you are not abandoned. And you are not useless. You are chosen. You are pursued. You are the person that God cannot stop thinking about. You're the one that he couldn't stop thinking about. When all the sin was running rampant, he built a boat to save a family that would bloodline the birth of a savior called Jesus. And he knew that he'd have to send his son. And God so loved the world that he couldn't help. He couldn't help but give his son for you. And the world will continually trigger your wounds. Until you realize that it's by his wounds. We are what? Healed. I am a failure, but he will not fail me. I make mistakes, but he will not abandon me. I have scars, but he has me.
and I am not going to cover my sin. I'm going to do four things. If you're a serial sinner in an area of your life, four things that need to become practiced in your life. We're out the door. You ready? Number one, admit it. Admission. I spent months driving down the road, quoting David in the Psalms to God because God was calling me to go confess to my wife the things that I'd done. I even went to a pastor and asked him if I should tell, and the pastor told me no. And I would quote it again and again and again. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. God, I can get right with you. I don't have to tell her. I can get right with you. I don't have to tell them. I can get right with you. You know what? Can I tell you this? When you're covering the trigger, you're not getting your finger off of it. The gun's still loaded and it will explode. People think that people that are in addictive lifestyles want to stay in those lifestyles, but I guarantee you, every addict I've ever come in contact with at some point in their life wants to change, just doesn't know how. Because they're trying to change the behavior. They're not changing the trigger. They're trying to change the action. They're not changing the why. And I'm telling you this right now. Some of you are looking at your husbands to be God, and he can't be. And what I mean by that is you're not looking at him to be perfect, but you're looking at him to hold you up. You're looking at him to make you feel beautiful all the time. To never make a mistake. To never raise his voice. To never be short with the children. To never sleep in. To never take a nap. To always know your needs. And, 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 and husbands, you're looking at your wife the same. To take care of your needs and ministry. And you know what? They can't do it. They cannot fulfill you. They cannot heal you. Some of you just need to hear the voice of the only father that truly cares about you. The way that you should be cared about. And that is God Almighty as he declares you. Holy. Not because of you. Because of who he is. When I realize that I can go to Jesus... When I take my waiting season, the eight days between the I need to see the scars into the I see Jesus, in that time until I know the results, I need to take that time and say, why do I feel this way? And let God rebuild you there. Let God do something. But you got to admit, admit means this, write this down. You're not justifying the action. If you're justifying it, you'll just repeat it. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not their fault. It's not this fault. Take responsibility. You have a trigger in your life that needs to be fixed. All right, does that make sense? Are you with me? I'll show you this because I'm running out of time. Let me see if I can get there. My note's still up there. Right here, ready? Admission, not justification. Take responsibility. Accountability, write this down, get it. You don't get to make the rules if you break the rules. Are you with me? You say, well, they need to trust me. Great. You should have never broken it. I'm glad you believe that. And maybe they can in time. But you shouldn't have broken the trust. And so accountability. I, 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 I share my access. Everything I have is shared with my wife. Everything. If she walked in today and said, pull up your internet history, it's there and nothing's deleted. If she walks in today and says, hand me your cell phone, it's there and nothing's deleted. She knows my passcodes. She knows these things. You say, ooh, that's micromanaging. No, I have found my trigger and I did not like my behavior and I want my wound to be a scar of God's testimony, not a repetitive action. 
And so therefore, I will admit it. I will stand before you. If you had a question, I have had an affair. But then an encounter with God. And it changes what your mind thinks when you realize that I am who I am because of what God did, not what I do. And when I do those things, I can admit to you. And guess what? Admission keeps the enemy from being able to have your secrets as ammunition against you. And then accountability says, this is what's going on. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going. If I'm here past nine o'clock, my wife gets a picture of somebody with a cell phone that I'm with standing there. Literally, I sent her a picture of David Robinson holding his phone at 1021 Wednesday night. And she replied, does David realize that he hangs out with you more than me? I was like, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of true. Accountability leads to boundaries. If I want to stop a serial sin, got to have boundaries. Certain things I won't do anymore. Certain things I don't give myself to anymore. Certain good things that I don't take part in anymore. I used to have a counseling schedule that was 30 hours long every week. I don't have one person on my counseling schedule this week. I do organic ministry. I'll call, hey, I need to talk for 15 minutes. I need to do this for 15 minutes. But I'll be honest with you. If you try to schedule an appointment with me, I, I reserve very little time for counseling appointments. You say, oh, I can't believe you. You're a pastor. You should. I am not going to lose my family for you. I'm just not doing it. I'm not going to lose my integrity for you. I know what can happen to me, and I'm not going to let it happen again. Do you understand that? Are you with that? No, yeah, that's me. What about you? What about the boss? That, that, that You're on salary, so of course they ask you to stay three hours over every day. Say no, I may lose my job. They're asking you to stay because they don't have anybody like you. There's no way they're going to replace you. Listen to me. The enemy will try to get you trapped into a lifestyle thinking you have to do this to be something. You do not. Go home. Go home. Go home. Go home. Go home. Who cares if they're mad? Don't let their family falling apart make your family fall apart. Don't let their inactions do it. Don't let somebody else's opinions of what you should be and where you should be change who you are. Be accountable, but set some boundaries. And then lastly, there needs to be some amendments. Now, I wish I was good enough to give you four A's, but you get three A's and a B, all right? Is that okay? <laughs> amendments means I need to find other ways to experience joy. Most triggers are designed for pleasure, to make you feel something, a high, a low, sexually, confidentially. I need something to make me feel like I'm somebody. They're designed to make you feel something. God is the only thing that will consistently make you feel alive and give you joy in every circumstance. And you need to find new ways to experience joy. I have fun with God's people. I mean, I have a blast. I play Fortnite. Not often enough, but I do. And sometimes I play with our teenagers. Like one time, and then they won't play with me anymore because I'm the one that like, can you revive me? Can you revive me? I'm down again. I'm down again. Come help me. And they're all like wizards and really good. I'm not. I need to play with older people who have slower reflexes. Am I right? I like sports, and I'll have people that come up to me in church and say, you shouldn't talk about football. And I'll be like, I don't want to be as miserable as you. I don't want people to think of as miserable as you. You say, that's mean. No, it's, it's simply this. Hey, 
Your wounds will never heal, never heal until you find out why you keep getting wounds. Can I tell you what I've done once in my life? Ran into a glass door. Can I tell you what I've never done again? Ran into a glass door. Can I tell you another thing I only did once in my life? Ran into a fire hydrant. Can I tell you what I've never done again? Ran into a fire hydrant. You know why? I learned. I burnt my hand on the stove. So you know what I don't? I don't cook. Are you with me, church? You know what? Some people keep going through the same thing again and again and again. I've done it my own life. You know what that is? That's a wound. That's not a scar. Don't brag about that. Fix it. I heard this yesterday at, uh, at Mobile Life House, and I'm going to say it again. There's some Pharisees that even go to church here, and I'm just going to tell you that. They're people that want to throw the word of God down your throat, but show you nothing in the way they live. All right? And the man said this at, at Mobile Life House yesterday, and it resonated so well with me. Pastor George over at Grace Point. I love giving credit. It was good. He said that, you know what? Um, the Pharisees were required to know the first five books of the Bible, 5,200 verses. They had to have them completely memorized. Yet they so knew the word of the Bible that they were no good and couldn't recognize when the true living word was standing in front of them. You know what it's saying? At some point, we got to realize it's not the behavior of the church that needs to change. It's the mindset. It's not your behavior that needs to change. Hey, you failed. You fell. We'll help you get back up. And what we need to learn is, why do you keep touching the stove? Why, why do you keep, well, let's put it this way. I made a shirt one time that was so offensive. People got so mad at me, except for Wade Green, who's sick today. Pray for him. He used to wear it and I made it. It said three words, uh, uh, four words. Don't kick a prick. And it comes from that verse in the Bible where the voice screams out, why are you kicking against the pricks? In other words, God was saying, I keep setting up roadblocks and you keep running into them. Why? Stop. Can you not see that I'm trying to change your life? You've overdosed three times. Can you not see that God is saving your life for a reason? You've cheated so many times that you don't even know you, who you are. Can you not see? That you will not find yourself in someone else's bed. You'll find yourselves in the arm of God. You've gone to your altar and you've gone to your church and, 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 you, and you played the game. You sang the worship song. You went through the service and you repeated that again and again and again. Yet you don't know why you can't feel God and don't know why you can't see God. And it's because you're trying to change your behavior, but you're not letting God change your heart. If you want the wound to heal, it needs to be debrided. It needs to get cleaned out. It needs to sting a little bit. It needs to be bandaged. And God is saying your father wounds have to heal and they have to heal now. And if you're going to go tell the world and if you're going to have testimonies to stand on, you can't take back your past behavior, but by God, you can stand on it and tell the world about how God pulled you out. But in order for that to happen, by his wounds, we can be healed. What a relief. In other words, God doesn't have to take you to the woodshed to heal you. He's really just calling you to the cross. He's really just calling you to the empty tomb. And the ladies walk in that day and they are told, go tell the disciples and Peter. 
of it. Two men at the cross denied Jesus Christ. Both did the same thing. One denied him and put him into the hands of the enemy. The other denied him and left him in the hands of the enemy. Both did the same thing. Both ran into hiding. One recovered. One killed themselves. I'm going to tell you this right now. The only way you're Judas is to fail to hear the grace that God has for you. And Peter, who would have never stood for God, gave a personal invitation from an empty tomb to say, make sure you tell Peter. Because you know what God wanted to show Peter? That even if you deny him, you cannot, you cannot hold him down. You cannot change his story. You cannot change his plan. You denied him and you're beating yourself up, feeling like he went to the cross because you didn't stand by him. But even though he went to the cross and you deserted, he's still the king of kings and he's still the Lord of lords and he's still alive today. And even greater news, he still wants you to be the messenger of the cross, to be the anthem of his grace. He wants you to be the founder of his church. He wants you to be an evangelist he wants you to be a missionary and even if you've lived a life to this point that is totally anti-christ the call from an empty tomb is for you to know that you cannot hold god down today and he still wants to use your life and if we're gonna go we gotta grow and we gotta say i'm thankful for the scars they didn't kill me they're a survival story of what god has been able to do in my life and they're the same for you but we got to heal wounds in jesus name in jesus name so bow your head and close your eyes. I'm about to pass out. Oh, I ain't even joking. <sighs> You've been there long enough, church. You've been there long enough. You've lived there long enough. You've lived in shame long enough. You've lived in guilt long enough. You've lived in lifestyles of behavior trying to find something to make you feel like you're somebody long enough. And God is calling you up. You're in the waiting room of needing healing and they just stepped through the door. Heaven just made an announcement and they've called your name. Would Mr. Moore please step back to see the doctor? He's got a word for you. And I believe today that we need to raise a church that says his wounds heal me. His wounds heal me. Here it is. I feel like a failure, but your wounds will heal me. I feel like a deserter, but your wounds will heal me. I feel like a nobody, but your wounds have healed me. I feel like I am, I am lost, but hey, let me see your hands. Let me touch your side. Is it really you, Jesus? Are you really alive? And the answer is yes. And today you can believe because you have seen that he is real. You know how you see that today? Because I shouldn't be preaching, but God's plan was way greater than mine or anybody else's. And his plan for you is so much greater than what you're going through, what you haven't done, or what you are doing. By his stripes, by his wounds, you are healed. Now, who in here today will be honest, will be real, will throw your hand in the air and say, I've got wounds. I've got wounds. I'm gonna ask you to do something today. If you got small ones, bring them with you. Will you just come stand and let us pray over you as we close today? Right now, she's gonna start playing something. We're not gonna play. This isn't a play thing. Thank you, buddy. Will you leave your seat? I've got wounds. Stick that hand back in the air. I've got wounds. Stick it in the air. Let your body follow it. Stand up and come stand down here today. Come on. Come on, let's go. No shame. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, move. Move. 
Mashon, let's go. Move. Move. Just stand. You don't have to get on your knees. Just stand. Line the stage and just stand here. Get as close to the stage as you can. I've got wounds. I've got wounds. All right, turn that down just a second. Turn it down just a bit. Keep playing. All right, now here it is. Ready? Who has scars? Who has Jesus stories of survival? Who has testimonies of overcoming? Who has been set free? Who has had the grace of God poured out in a mighty way? Experienced the mercy of God. And today, yes, you've had wounds, but today they're scars because by his stripes, you've been healed. If that's you, you come stand. Put a hand on somebody. Get behind them. Let's go. Let's go. I've got scars. I have scars. Oh, I have testimony of the goodness of God. Proclamation of his presence and his power. Amplifying proof that God exists and he's real. And though all the world forsake me, yet will I trust him. Because my God has never left. He's never abandoned. And today, he wants to heal your wounds. He wants to heal your wounds. He wants to empower you to become living proof that the resurrection is still at work, that Jesus is still moving. He's still calling. He's still rescuing. So I ask you, do you know him? Have you given your heart to him as a savior? Hey, I love what he said here. Let's go back to that verse. Let's look at it real quick. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side and don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe that when you choose Christ, victory is all that's possible. When you choose a walk with him, Failure is no longer an option. Impossible, not even in God's vocabulary. There is no such thing as you can't. There is no such thing as you won't. All that is in the hands of Jesus is he that started this work in you will perform it. He will do it. And you say, well, I'm still tempted. I'm still, I'm still tempted. I want to get off drugs so bad, but I still wake up thinking, hey, 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 temptation does not make you a failure. You've just got to learn how to take your trigger to God and say, hey, there's a drug calling my name, but I need you to fill me. I need you to touch me. Pick up the Bible. Pick up a phone. Get to a small group. Get involved in something. Get a counselor. Get a mentor. Get somebody in your life. And every time you're triggered towards bad behavior, fall into Jesus and watch that the behavior that comes from Jesus, oh, that's a good lifestyle that leads to wonderful results. Wonderful results. But you got to believe. And if you've never given Christ your heart, right where you stand or right where you sit, it is this moment that you need to make a choice. Will you give your heart, your life, surrender to God. Declare him as Lord. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my focus. I surrender it to you, trusting you died for me. You loved me. You're alive today. 
And because you live, God, I believe that you have life for me. So right here, right now, I accept you as Savior. Savior is the covering. Lord is the control. I accept you as Savior, but I make you Lord. You will be my trigger. You will be what I run to. You will be where I hide. You will be where I lay down and rest. You will be what I look to. You will be where I go. You will be my shepherd. And as David can write, the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything I need. Is there anybody here today that would declare this, your salvation day, the day you declare, Lord, Jesus, the Lord of your life, believing he died for you and believing he's alive and raised from the dead and that he will save you from your sins. Is there anybody here today that says, today's the day I declare Jesus, Lord of my life. Would you slip a hand in the air? Today's the day I declare Jesus, Lord of my life. Like Thomas, I'll believe. Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else right here? There's a couple. Keep that hand up for a second. If you're, if you're close to them, just lean on in right here and right back there. There's two. Anybody else? Today, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord of my life. Can we celebrate the two that just gave their heart to Jesus Christ and made that possible? <laughs> Lay hands on each other. Grab somebody's hand that you're sitting with. Truth is, Admitting the wounds, one thing, step one. But this is not your admission moment. You know what confession is? It's where you make it known. You know what you're actually making known? You know what confession means? It means to agree with God. I'm coming to an agreement with God. I'm confessing that my lifestyle hasn't been the one that God wants for me. And sometimes that's just confession with you and God. But if it's affected somebody else, sometimes that confession needs to go to the person. You need to go home and you need to say, I hate to tell you this, and I don't want to tell you this, but I've sinned against you, and I'm going to change, but I'm not going to change for you. Look up here at me. My wife threw me out. When she found out the true, and gave her everything, she kicked me out. That night, I went home to somebody else's house. I went to Betty's house. And I was a mess. Betty went out to eat. She said, you want to go? But I had no strength and no energy. I just crawled in bed and I just stayed there. My counselor called me on the phone because my wife called my counselor. The counselor said to me, are you still going to come for your session? And I responded to him. I told you the very first day that I walked in that I am not coming here to save my marriage. I'm coming here because I don't want to be this man anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I don't want to care so much about what everybody has to say and what everybody thinks. I don't want to make decisions to please people. I, I want to be healed of this. And I'm not coming to you because I want to save my marriage. I'm coming to you because I need God to save my life. I can't be like this anymore. I'm telling you right now, your healing cannot be because of what you want. Your healing has to be because of what you need. Within 24 hours, God had radically changed our marriage situation, and I was back in the house. 24 hours after the words, it is finished, was written in our home, God wrote the words, not yet. Not yet. And what I thought would be the end of ministry, of marriage, of family, 
became the beginning of a ministry I never knew could happen. A marriage that I never knew you could have. We've even got a little boy that we shouldn't even have. Why? Because God's got a plan and his plan is not to fail you. It's to help you prosper. So you need to admit, you need some accountability. Can't do this on my own. Sometimes our elders meetings turn into my therapy sessions. I'll sit there, well, I'm not Howard, and I'll say, I used to keep this in, but I can't keep it in anymore because I don't want to go back. I'm struggling with this. I'm triggered by this. This is going on in my life, and I need prayer, and I need help. Even before I preached today, I told people what I was preaching on. Even my own wife, I went to her, and I said, I, I know Wade, who I lean on, can't be here today. My wife, who I lean on, can't be here today. And I thought God would have me called to a vulnerable message when they're not here. So I told Garrett. I told Chris. I told DJ. I told Andre. I told everyone, pray for me. I told my wife, we're speaking on this, and it's going to be hard because it's going to be vulnerable and it's going to be open. But the truth is, I feel like the enemy is telling the church you're dead when God has declared you alive. And I feel like the enemy is saying, oh, go tell them. Go tell them that they need Jesus. When the church hasn't even fully believed that Jesus has freed and forgiven them. You're clean today, not because of you. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ what he has done for you. So get some accountability. It's not a bad thing. Be transparent. Don't come into the church and act like you're okay when you're not. Sometimes the first thing you need to find is not a seat, but an altar. Not an isolation corner, but an ear where you can say, I'm about to mess up. I got all these thoughts going on in my mind and I don't know what to do. Be real. Be accountable. Set some boundaries. Hey, if you struggle with alcohol, bars are out. They're done. They're gone. You're not going back. You say, well, you know, I want to, I, I, my friends need a designated driver. Call them a taxi and stay home. Because I guarantee you're going to get in there and somebody's going to throw you something. You know what I'm proud of you for? I got a text message from you that said, this is my new number. You know how happy my heart was? Because you know what that meant? Is no longer does your dealer have your number. Hey, that's a change. Hey, some of you need to change those numbers. If you've been a cheat and change your phone number. You know, if you, if you got all these bad friends that are in your life, change your number and don't give it out. Get off social media, close it on your account. You say, I can't live without it. I promise you, you've probably not been living because of it. Are you with me? Do you understand this? Amend your life. Make some changes. Make some changes. Here's the word you need. You will not see instant results, but you will see progress. Some people think that you come to an altar and you leave a totally different person. You leave with a totally different mindset, but you still got to make progress in the direction that God's called you. I love you enough to tell you this that the great commission has become the dead commission because the great resurrection has not been lived and experienced in the lives of God's people. And without the resurrection, your faith is in vain. So before we send you out, let him in. I've got scars. Anybody say me too today? Me too. Hey. But by his wounds, 
Oh, we're, we'll stand in heaven today and we'll see the scars of Jesus Christ. And we won't stand there and say, aw. We'll stand there and we'll celebrate. We'll lift high. We'll applaud. We'll sing songs angels cannot sing because his scars represent our freedom, our victory. You have a Jesus story. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the moment. We thank you for this. God, I pray for the attack that is about to happen in people's lives to be exposed right here, right now. Let them know the enemy's coming. But God, may they have determined in their minds before they leave this place that the enemy can come because you're already here. You're a strong tower. That's what David called you. You're a city of refuge where the sinner, the sinner, the broken can run and find a place of safety. You are a place we can rest. You are the wings that shelter, the hands that provide. So let the enemy come. Because God, we declare, we believe, and we know you are in us. And greater is he, oh, your word, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So may we walk out of this place with Heads held high, hearts held high, knowing that our scars should not be covered or hidden. They should be amplified and spoken of. We overcome because your blood has covered us. But by testimony says, you're my God, you're my Savior, you're my Lord, so let your word be heard. Let freedom be found. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. Amen.